Anybody seen Blue Beetle? No, I've heard that it's out, but I haven't seen it. That's what you can say for the yep. modern comic book movie. They're out. I have I have a real quick question, which is that: Do you think that they're kind of done, money wise? Who like? Well, no, no. I just mean like comic book movies at all, because like I see all these comments on like Twitter or whatever talking about like the nine hundred billion dollars that the other movies made. And that these, but it seems like the latest slate on every side has been has underperformed, and it's just is that just some movie shit? We just like they're not going to be billion dollar movies anymore. I think it's too early to count them count them dead. I mean, to call. Yeah. I mean, but that bubble's got to pop sometime. You know, it's. I mean, we like just like cowboy westerns, like the sci-fi's, like like that. I'm calling anime is the next is the next big thing. Like they just need one to land, and. It just hasn't happened really yet. I think, I, mm-hmm. um, I, I think like things come close. Like uh, I, I feel like Scott Pilgrim. You know what? I say Speed Racer, really actually should have kicked it off in my in my opinion. But I'm, wait, should have kicked what off? The anime boom, like the anime film thing, like uh, uh. like because I've been called. I've, I've been scared the comic book movies like bubble is gonna pop and everybody's gonna hate comic books again. And I'm gonna, just oh, gonna no. be just like when I was a kid. They're going to yeah. make a big Howard the Duck remake and put a lot of money into it, and it's going to be another big flop. That that will be the, the anchor on the ship, yes. The iceberg, Howard the Duck, it always is. It's not. And then what I hate is that the, a movie will come. Like, if this doesn't do well, for whatever reason, they'll blame it on the character, which I think is bullshit. Like, they're going to say, you know, Who's it's like, name? oh, it's blue. Of course it can't be. And, and meanwhile, how many shitty fucking like Superman movies have we had? And no one doubts that character. I don't know. I just think it's, yeah, it's going to be sad. Or yeah, like if it goes bad, they're going to be like, all right, we're going back to the white guy. You know what? We'll roll it we'll, mm-hmm. we'll around. You had your shot. Well, speaking <laughs> of going back to the white guy, you guys ready to start yeah. the show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, okay, welcome to the Comic Canon Revival, a podcast where we look at some of the most beloved stories in the history of comics, both new and old. We take exemplary, historic, and even bizarre stories, and we put them under our figurative microscope, and we're going to do that now. And we, this is uh, an episode that, let's face it, was a long time in the making, but I'm very excited about it. Um, today we're talking Cerebus, uh, a, a comic, honestly, that nobody would have asked for to be on this show. But I think it's going to be one of the most interesting things we've talked about because it's by far one of the most controversial things we could talk about. It's also, I have to say, at a technical level, one of the best comics I've ever read. So all of this shit happening at one time. Let's talk about who's on the show. Um, we have the, I really don't know how to incorporate you into this. I really don't uh, we want have you to try. The, if you want to take a knee this time, that's fine. Uh, no, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Conan to my red Sonia. I'll feminize myself. Right. That's, a, that's appropriate for this. Uh, Wendell Smith is on the show. Hey. Hello, Wendell. Hey, Wendell. hey guys. Hey, Wendell. Uh, you said Conan right. I'm so proud of you. Conan. Conan. Um, I used Not to say that red haired guy. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and also, Chris Blaker is hey. back, which he's making a habit of this. What a, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
Thank you for being here, Chris. Love to be. um, and then we have a very special guest on the show. Not that this special. Is, yeah, and it's Jorg Homan is on the show. I'm going to explain him in a bit, but say hello, Jorg. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're on the show. Thank you very much. Hello, Jorg. Okay, so here's the deal. If we were doing a podcast about heroin, eventually one of us is going to have our dealer on, right? So <laughs> that's kind of what this is. Uh, Jorg, I know Jorg because he is the proprietor of, of the comic shop that I frequent. He is my dealer. He, he hooks me up. Thank you. Well, I pay for it, but still, it's it's. Yorg uh, uh, owns Heroes and Dragons in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's an awesome comic shop. I love kind of all comic shops, and but I've been to quite a few, and it is definitely in the top three comic shops I've ever been to in the country. I swear to God, that's top three. That's awesome. Definitely. Well, thanks for having me over. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. I don't even. I'm not saying you could be number one. It's, it's hard to say, right? Like, <laughs> how, how long? How long they're all different. Three. They're like my children. How, how long have you been? Uh, how long has uh, Heroes and Dragons been there, York? I used to. I used to live in South Carolina too. Yeah. So the the store has been around for thirty five years now. I'm the second owner, and I've been doing this crazy thing, uh, giving the first dose for free, if you will, for seven years. God damn. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I know. It really flew by. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, be careful, kids. Comics can lead you down some dark roads. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's it's very true. Like I would suck a dick for comic book. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, I've I've sucked a dick for worse reasons, honestly. On free <laughs> like, comic book day. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's no dick suck on free comic book day. Everybody gets them then. Yeah, I mean it is South Carolina. What are you gonna do? But it, okay. Uh, well, anyway, so as I said before, let's do some housekeeping. Uh, we are talking Cerebus. We're, we're doing High Society. So that came out initially. It was published single issue Cerebus as Cerebus the Aardvark, 26 to 50. Um, and that was published from May 1981 to May 1983. Um, I'm curious, Jorg, did you actually read this as it was coming out? Or did, when did you kind of get I into was this? Definitely a little late to the party. Um, I think I probably got turned on to it like in the mid late nineties, like 96, 97 area. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I was, uh, picking it up in graphic novel form, uh, at that point, unfortunately, because, uh, it made, uh, getting the early single issues, which are, you know, very low print run, very scarce, uh, incredibly hard to find. I actually just, uh, at heroes con this year, finally got my hands on a Cerebus number one. <gasps> wow. Can I ask how much it costs you? Uh, you can, and I would really actually prefer not to say because as a <laughs> professional comic dealer, I'm a little I, ashamed of how much I paid for it. I love it, I, and that's why, I, that's why I asked it that way because I was like, this yeah. is probably not public information. Uh, yeah, that's really cool, though. I, I have a bunch of issues, like maybe 12 or so, that I would probably be willing to sell one of our cats and one of my legs for, I mean, so I get it. I mean, like, from what I understand, the way the – way Dan Sims handled like his own like publishing and everything. Like you had to basically like write him a letter and say please, and he and then he'd mail it to you personally. Like like he like I don't know his. Let's Dave Sim much. first. Sorry, of all. sorry. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I pulled a uh, I pulled a Blaker. Never mind. Um, but yeah, no, I like I looking into it because I actually went on the I went onto his website to um, get a digital copy. And have you guys seen this website? No, no I haven't been on that. No. Yet. Uh -huh is amazing uh it looks like uh, i'm pretty sure he he designed it in like 1998 and it yeah. is the exact same but 
uh, like you can get all of his publications there. You, he will mail them to you, or you can get digital copies. He was like on the front of the. He was like on the forefront of that kind of like release method as well. But if you look at it, it looks like oh, the yeah, Space Jam's sure. uh, website when the movie Space Jam came out. If you guys ever <laughs> saw that, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which was actually designed by Charles Barkley. That's why. Uh, uh, after no, but, after he got done fighting Godzilla. That's right. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it, I mean, I had to say like that kind of fits for me, right? Because like this is the in some, especially I think in the co- larger comic world, this is like the king of DIY, Dave Sim. Oh, and I guess I should say continuing with the whole like housekeeping thing. Uh, this is the easiest part, which is usually more complicated. Uh, the creator, the writer, the artist, the publisher, all Dave Sim. This was published under Aardvark Vanaheim, but it's just his publishing little company or whatever. So that's all you need to know about who made this comic. Um, so let's do uh, let's move things forward a little bit. I'll give you the back of the postage stamp description, and Jorg's going to tell you a little bit why, about why he picked this comic. Of all the comics he could, he could pick, it's kind of an exciting idea. Um, so basically, this, uh, like... When I first started reading this comic, I was like, what is this about or happening? I didn't do any reading beforehand. I just picked it up. And so what I didn't realize is that this is basically sort of a Conan pastiche or a Conan parody or those sorts of uh, fantasy sort of things. And we begin our uh, comic reading with this story, High Society, which is basically about that kind of character accidenting upon a kind of like political farce it's this is sort of like game of thrones meets the west wing meets the duck soup or something like that yeah um yeah that conan so that's that's the comic right yeah the co- the conan uh thing did not did not like come out to me at all while i was reading this it wasn't until like after, right. afterwards when i like did more research on just the character and stuff for this uh, story and I then, got, sorry window go ahead no well i was just gonna say and then lots of things made sense like, I, I suddenly, right. I was like, every, there were lots of little weird things where I was like, what is, why is this? And then it was like, oh, yeah, he's a barbarian aardvark. I was like, thank you. Somebody said it. Thank you. I'm glad we. And 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 I think that that's the, there's a bit of a kind of barrier to entry with that. Because, like, with Superman or Batman or something like that, if you've never read, like, any of their other comics, because that cultural, those cultural figures just sort of, like, get into your head via osmosis you already kind of have the concept before you start reading it in this case if you didn't have some sense about like it sounds like both of us about who Cerebus was you really wouldn't necessarily have it from the jump here you kind of have to do some internet sleuthing or ask a friend or, or what have you uh you were you were gonna say something, um Chris. Well, the first few pages i was like oh this is howard the duck he's just like mm-hmm. you know a creature in a world he never made right. he's in victorian england and he's just trying to figure it out and uh yeah I, I liked it at first it had that same vibe wasn't that your that's your bio chris right well, <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> we never make our worlds yeah. I don't know That's what it hard. is about like. I didn't ask for a credit score. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the trope of like angry duck like cartoon characters, but like anything that kind of seems to have a bill, you can really sell like rage on. I think. <laughs> also, anybody oh, who's ever dealt with a duck in real life yeah. understands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least a goose. Those yeah. those guys are mean. Nothing worse than a goose. Yeah, right. They're vicious animals. They should. Right. Somebody should do something. Those damn Canadians. <laughs> if we all hurt, and I'm I'm an animal lover. Speaking of Davidson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah. If I'm an animal lover through and through, but if somebody's like, "All the geese are dying," we don't know why. Like, let's not even 
worry about it. Let's just let, we'll let, the, let it sort um, out. But right, but okay. So like I said, uh, Jorg's going to tell us about why he picked us. That to me is like the almost the million dollar question we've talked about a little bit before we started the show. But like, I mean, you have when you go on this comic store, like you it's it really does hit you like the vast majority or the vast sort of like plurality of like ips and like various comics he could have picked anything he picked this so so what's up with that yeah well i mean so uh why did i pick it because in the vast plurality of comics that i have existed in for most of my life um since i started reading i guess you know uh for me it would have been either this or elf quest i guess because I really like to uh, always, in just about everything I do, kind of not follow the crowd. And uh, Mm -hmm. that has taken me some weird places in my life. It's probably exactly why I own a comic book shop nowadays. Um, uh, you know, and my dog comes with me and he's a weirdo and, uh, boy, you should really meet my girlfriend, but, um, you know, all that notwithstanding, uh, there's so much that the world creates that, that runs a course that gets left behind. I mean, you know, would, would you actually believe that Billy Idol put out an album like a year ago and it's amazing? Um, (laughs) there's, I I would believe that actually, but, but I agree it's, it's off the beaten path. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I mean, to, to talk about comics is to talk about so many things that so many people talk about. And I just thought it'd be more interesting. Plus as, as the world nowadays just continually sort of seems to, to fall into this ever deeper spiral of insanity and oddness and where truth is literally stranger than fiction at this point. Uh, it felt like a Mm -hmm. very poignant thing to read right now. Again, um, when, when I was younger in the nineties reading it, I was like, this is crazy. This would never happen in our world. We have systems and people in positions of authority and power and influence that care about the general populace. <laughs> and, you know, I, exactly. I was a dumb, naive kid and I thought, you know, the entire world uh, was wearing rose tinted glasses and that everything would be the better for it. And so here I am now, 20 years later with two like adult children. And I'm like, no, everything's pretty cutthroat. Like, uh, actually <laughs> it's really just a bunch of, you know, uh, charlatans leading around a bunch of blind people. And, uh, you know, everybody's just trying to get everything they can out of everyone. And I don't mean everyone, obviously. I'm not that cynical. I own a comic book shop and I, I love nothing more than dazzling small children with stories of heroism and, and good goodly do uh, as much as I can when they come in. But at the same time, you know, there is this very real visceral layer of society that, that is fully intent on raping us all blind. And, uh, you know, if we're not vigilant against it, then it's just going to continue to get worse. And I think a long time ago, before I certainly ever was clued into it, Dave Sim was already trying to tap into a little bit of that. And uh, I hope you guys got some of that out of reading this. I got to tell you, uh, you came to the right place because this podcast is anti-rape. <laughs> I've said it before. Say it again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I mean, there's this is a complicated text for a lot of reasons. Uh, we might as well talk about that a little bit. What you mentioned about the weird predictive aspect of this, uh, this show we've we've run into this a few times because we did Judge Dread, uh, where and and we talked about the Onion before, where you know you have these sort of like political farces or f- political fantasies or what have you, and at the time they seemed like you know oh we're exaggerating to reveal. In this case, it's like oh this happened in our reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Minus the yardwork. I 
I, yeah, I wanted to actually just up top thank you, uh, Yorg, for picking this because this is like uh, this is very much like Madman was to me, where it uh, it's something that like I saw in comic book stores and uh, like Wizard magazine a lot when I was a kid growing up, but like was nowhere near on the level like the maturity level to seek it out or you know or anything. Yeah. And it's something that like the second Jared said Cerebus and I looked it up and saw that artwork all of these little memories started to click and I was like that's who this is what is this and it was just really exciting to like finally understand it and under- and understand why it's so why it was so popular when I was younger it it's totally true because all of the sort of interesting indie picks for the podcast not all of them especially not Chris is doing it more regularly but like most of them in the history of this has be- have come from Wendell uh, you know, Bone and Madman and, and things of that nature. Whereas when I pitch an episode, it's like, okay, there's this very obscure thing. You guys are going to love it. It's about four <laughs> astronauts who are bombarded <laughs> with cosmic reds. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic. <laughs> and yeah, so I, that's just, that is true. This is when, when I heard you uh, pick this up, I was like, well, I know Wendell's going to like it. <laughs> Jared's, like, um, so, Jared's like, here's an obscure thing. Did you guys know Thor had a beard for a while? And then he <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <did>. Really <laughs> He had um, these awesome leopard print boots, <laughs> and he was unstoppable. That's right. Oh, uh, then it turned out he was a robot, and we were all sad about it. We um, we gotta we gotta move along, but I, I will say it was really funny when you were sat down in the chair uh, in my little study or whatever, and then like he it slowly dawned on him, like in the way that you realize you're in a hoarder's house, where he's like, oh, that's a lot of Thor, like it would just sort of hit him <laughs> all of a sudden or whatever. Yeah, it was very widescreen. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So well, uh, oh, one quick note, if I may yeah, interject, though, I mean, yeah, like, you do. know, cultural relevance on this, this, this series, this character, whatever, you know, you're talking about like issue number eight of Spawn, Cerebus is on the cover, uh, Turtles, right. I think it's like 24 or something like that. He's in the original run from Mirage Comics of the Turtles. I mean, like everybody who was like part of this upstart movement in the early 90s in comics was very much aware of Dave Sim, was very into Dave Sim. Um, I mean, like him and Neil Gaiman were friends, uh, and I think still are, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really something that was about to break big, except as I'm sure we'll get to at some point, the man made a few choices with his words <laughs> and his and his deeds that uh, have have left it mired, you know, in in the gutter, as it were. And uh, you know, he's like the Charles Bukowski of comics. Yeah, very very complicated sort of set of associations here. I want to say, sort of going forward, that like again, this is there's a few things. This isn't this isn't an overtly political podcast. It's not a history podcast. Um, and inevitably, I think for some listeners, they're going to feel like we didn't say enough about. X or Y or Z, and ultimately we're going to just try to talk about this, this text. We're going to talk about its reception and, and some of the stuff because this guy really didn't allow there to be a total separation between his ideas and politics and things of that nature and his comics. So some of it has to be in there. But this isn't a trial. We're not going to try to absolve him anything or indict him or anything like that. So if you're a listener and you're a huge fan of his and you think that we didn't uh, defend him appropriately you know, uh, enough... Sorry, that's that's not what we're here for. And if you are really upset about like that, we don't think we don't call him Hitler enough. That's not really what the podcast is either. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I don't want to have to box him if he hears this. So 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, yeah. I'll box them. I'll fucking box anybody. Uh, except for people good at boxing. I won't do that. <laughs> that That's exactly his energy. So I'd love that. that yeah. like, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, he's Canadian. You don't want to wrangle with yeah, that. Yeah, right? No, I don't. The, the the fact that that that's probably the biggest controversy at all <laughs> is, is being from Canada. Um, yeah, I but yeah, they were so, all supposed to be nice. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Uh, him and Jordan Peterson, not the nicest guys. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so we so I'll, just to put a bow on that. So we have this comic, which is I think technically very interesting. We have the aspects of Dave Sim where he's like actually got all these positive things that he did in terms of contribution. This is, as he described it in an uh, infamous at this point, AV Club interview. This is like, according to him, and I don't know how to compare it, but like the longest running single narrative. And he, I, I don't know how true that is, but it's he's got to be up there. Um, no, it, it was. It was the longest continually published thing in the English language up until Spawn actually overtook it when it hit issue 300. And, and he was a uh, self-published person, which, I mean, I think you guys know, like, is a very difficult thing to even be borderline read, much less successful to the degree, like York said, that, that he had in terms of, like, cultural impact. Um, and he also is really associated with kind of, like, I, I, I'm not overly familiar with the idea, but, like, creator's rights. So he, you know, had, like, a kind of manifesto. He had a bunch of people sign on to that was just about like you know creators owning their own ips and and things of that nature so if he has a complicated set of associations it's not just like probably the first thing that you read when you google his name yeah which i honestly i think i don't know if i now that we're we we, the show kind of has a different pattern like progression now but like i i think we 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 shine on like in like uh creator driven uh, story like comics in general. I, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the times, uh, a, mo- a lot of our stuff like that was sort of the reason we were like we gotta do more Marvel and DC because we really like Image Comics or you know like really right. love independently uh, run comics. And this guy apparently, uh, at least at least just kind of put that footprint down. You know he like he everybody was like you can't do that. Comic book readers want to read like six issues per story like we like we i just want to see somebody right try fail and then win but he was like no i'm pretty sure comic book readers are smart and are will invest in a character if you write it well and sure as shit he was and right. draw it well and draw it yeah, very he, well he kind of yeah. changes the game a lot i mean he's uh, again we're not a history podcast but like you can go in and look at like the precedent he set with selling graphic novels selling like trade paperbacks this was not a thing that people did i I don't think he's the first person to do it but like the idea of just making it uh, understanding that that market existed and saying no no people have a tolerance not just a tolerance or not a willingness but like actually there's a bunch of people that want to read sort of more longitudinal uh stories in the art form which makes sense like why wouldn't why would graphic mediums need to like all have to be these short self-contained stories that's great it's awesome i mean i i Long for the day that a single issue would tell an entire story, but it was kind of cool that he, if he didn't, if he wasn't the influence for it, he at least saw where the trend was going to go, where the market was going to go. Well, the Japanese certainly knew it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, yeah. Well, you know, the Japanese are always ahead. That. What are you going to do? I was thinking about that because we uh, recently did a manga uh, on, the, on the show, and I was wildly impressed right. with that guy's, uh, like, it was berserk, and uh what, he, what oh, yeah. was it like he started in 80 something and just and mm-hmm. like did it all the way till he died but 
Yep. Cerebus ran until like 2004, I think. Like, like Dave Sim mm-hmm. had no had right. no quit in him. Has no quit in him. Yep. And that's crazy. Um. Yeah. And and uh, I should say also before we get into it, and I want to sort of drill down more into the story uh, in a second, but uh, we are reading a piece of a much larger story. Um. And sort of had like broader designs by the time we get to this point a larger architecture you know obviously we'll read a superman comic and that's been going on for you know 80 90 whatever how many years it is now uh, a thousand years let's say but this is specifically closer to just taking like the fourth chapter of war and peace and i make that reference specifically in this case um so you know for the listener we're we're gonna miss a lot of stuff that this probably ties into in a larger sense um, and we are taking this out of its context in some sense but you know just bear with us on that um and so the the prologue is that he was essentially exactly a conan character uh you know he was just this wandering barbarian who was sort of half drunk most of the time stumbling from battlefield to battlefield he was you know revered for his swordsmanship and his uh, acumen in battle and you know obviously did not die uh and so that's a testament in its own right and somehow stumbled into association with some powerful people at a certain point at the end of a lot of different conflicts that were going on in this larger geographical area in which he gained prominence in several of them and basically that's where high society begins is now he's this government official appointed by a very powerful head of state and has his full backing and he's just thrust into this political environment now and is trying to figure out how to swim in waters he's never been in. Can we just talk about how fucking wacky that is? Yeah, by the way, it is super wacky. Yeah, it's like it, 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 you can't kind of overstate what a first of all, only a self publisher could you could not fucking pitch this to even like the most you know, especially if you've gotten a at least a minor level of success with the first thing you did. Um, it's completely irrelevant to the concept at some level, and the 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 stuff that he does with it. It's just really interesting. So, in other words, we're going from this, I mean, you know, kind of silly and, like, somewhat satirical. I think uh, Dave Sim says that, like, his he was, in some sense, being a little satirical about popular comics of the day, specifically Red Sonja. Um, but to take that character now and put them in this entirely different kind of genre is fucking weird and would ne- it just doesn't feel like that would happen. Um, yeah. Like, the this becomes so text driven so conversational so fucking Aaron Sorkin it's wacky yeah no it, yeah it's like Garfield it's like if Jim Davis suddenly just decided that like Garfield was gonna walk into Chinatown or something and just like get into right like just this I mean from what I because I because I again I got really fascinated with just how this how a man committed so much time and energy to create something like so vivid with such a I, none of the premise really I was like how Canada, what is wrong with you? Right. But then looking back at it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a cute, silly, I mean, like, not cute, but it's a fun, like, uh, Lucy, yeah, kind of story-to-story barbarian thing, and he looks even kind of just cute and simple. And then, yeah, Dave Sim just stepped it up and made it an entirely different thing, and it's so, yeah, yeah, big roll of the dice, and... Well, should we discuss the origin of the story? Um, yeah, go, yeah, let's, let's do that, and then let's talk about the art. Because I feel like uh, that kind of deserves its own 
chunk, let's say. But yeah, let, uh, and actually, I don't know so much about the origin of the story. So, so give me a sense of it, York. Okay. Well, there's this thing called LSD. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah? I, I okay. am familiar with the, with the tale, but yeah, you, okay. you're probably more familiar. It was created by the CIA way back when. Um, <laughs> anyway, so apparently they had it in Canada, too. And uh, the man was a bit of a, uh, what, a soul rebel or whatever. Um, and uh, uh, I, I forget exactly how many hits it was he took, but it was something really just like, oh, my God, Dave Sim, like 50 hits or something at one time. And uh, so he was hospitalized for like six months recovering from this trip that lasted over a week basically and in that time Mm -hmm. that's a lot of weeks yeah right you know um he conceived of the character and then the general narrative that would plot out over that what 27 year time span that Cerebus was released um up until issue 300 and uh you know it's it's ridiculous to think that he had it all worked out you know but then again um possibly uh, a lot of acid who knows what that does to one's brain but that really is the genesis of the whole thing was this insanely powerful prolonged trip uh in which he conceived of this thing and then like actually came out of it and was like okay i'm gonna sit down and do this i'm gonna do it all on my own fuck the entire system i don't need them they're never gonna understand it anyway and and it actually happened. I mean, how often does that really happen in the world that someone has a fringe lunatic idea and they actually see it through to its conclusion? I mean, it's it's really kind of a testament of human will. Yeah, the the four of us were ready to give up on this episode when we had technical problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for like 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There was a whole sober uh, world. He was, that he was, was strapped like, to a bed. Yeah, yeah. So many sober people were like, no, we don't do that. And he was like, well, I guess I will then. <laughs> and I'll yeah, bail it exactly. out of my house. Well, and the takeaway, too, is that he kind of, I guess, uh, decided, like, what if I take this sort of silly kind of episodic comic that I do and told a long, protracted kind of war and peace level story? Like, and, and when I say that, like, he's emulating Tolstoy or great Russian novels. I've read in interviews, you know, he, he makes reference to them a lot. And specifically this idea, which is really challenging about this text, by the way, is the sheer amount of names God. Like, that you kind of have to absorb um, and remember and, and remember their effect on the story and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. And maybe you can speak to this, York, if once he has that uh, like that trip and is hospitalized and comes out of it and decides he's going to be doing this long protracted tale. I don't know if at that point he, he knows where everything's going to go, but he's committed that he's going to do this story specifically about his character Cerebus that's going to end in the character's death. Like it, like his whole, do a whole life thing, kind of like Citizen Kane or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that was the, the general idea, right? Like there was so many avenues and alleyways in, in the length of the thing that he hadn't fleshed out, but that it was going to be the entire diaspora of this character's existence. And it, I think, you know, the story is really over the long form of it all, uh, just sort of a simple meditation on the effect that one idiot can have on the world if they're <laughs> stubborn enough, which speaks a lot to him as well. Yeah, huh, yeah. It, it it definitely mirrors him in a way, and and I mean we can go into this in, in in a little bit, but there is something weird about this being his protagonist, and I don't think it's random or disconnected from 
him or his personality, but obviously it's not him holding up a person that he thinks is, he's lauding as like a great moral example. So it's, <laughs> it, it is pretty interesting, I think. Um, but before we talk too much more about the story, story uh, let's talk about the art. Because again, um, one, I know there's a lot of, um, let's say bad political content in this that makes it the case that contemporary readers have a hard time still owning this or identifying with it or appreciating it. But the one thing I think you just can't deny, I mean, I guess it's taste, so whatever, but like, is that this, the art is from the get really interesting, gets better, and he just does a lot of innovative stuff with it. You have to appreciate it at that level. Um, Jorg, do you, I mean, do you, um, is this one of your favorite artists just at the visual level or how do you feel about him at that level? Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. I, I, and uh, I, I mean, to say that, like Dave Sim actually redefined my appreciation of comic art would be the greatest understatement I could ever make. And it doesn't take place in Cerebus. Actually, he did a series called Glamour Puss after the fact where he has this terrible story about this uh, like international secret agent slash model character, which is Glamour Puss. But then the other half of the comic book just interspersed randomly is uh, like serious uh dives into golden age comic strip art um where he's talking about like the different styles and the different brushes and the different pencil sizes that they would use and different techniques for cross hatching and shading and uh it, i mean it just taught me so much about the medium that as someone who can't do a stick figure well i would have never been able to appreciate had he not given this master class because he was literally taking like golden age comic strips it's also about his like mad search to find faithful reproductions of them which is pretty interesting in its own right because mm-hmm. apparently that's hard to do nowadays uh but uh and then he was just sort of tracing them um to 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 actually learn the style and teach it to himself and and then afterwards he would use that to do his own illustrations for the glamour puss part of the story and it was really like like watching an old pbs program from the 80s where they're like okay we're going to teach you this skill today kids and then we're going to send you out in the field uh you know and and you're going to catch your own butterflies and create your own human utopia and it's like what <laughs> is happening here exactly um but but yeah, it was, it really changed everything about how I thought about comics. I, I, when I was a little kid, I remember walking into comic shops and like, there'd be an Iron Man number one up on the wall for like 30 bucks or something. And I'm like, I don't care about that. Take me to the Jim Lee X-Men, um, right. you know, and, and let me pay full, full cover price for it. I don't care about this historical book. Uh, but you know, uh, nowadays I'm, I'm completely the opposite. I'm, I'm chasing down these old comics, like, you know, it's literally like my life depends on it because of what appreciation I gained from from his art style. I mean, the man is a master. There's you no were, doubt. Um, looking at this art, do you feel like he was influenced by that Prince Valiant strip? Uh, you know, with the knights and everything, because it it's. Oh my God! Yeah, he he talks about Prince Valiant a lot. Uh, yeah, Milt Conniff um, is uh, definitely call. one of his biggest influences, um, and he discusses that quite a bit in the Glamour Puss strip. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this, they seemed pretty similar from what I know about that strip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, there's just the the weird tone that his art has that I think is pretty. It, it seems emblematic of this guy that isn't doing it in any way that it's sort of supposed to be done. He's not sort of going according to anybody else's lane. He's doing his own thing because it does sort of run back and forth. It kind of oscillates between really weirdly realistic 
uh, even hyper realistic elements, and then also very cartoonish stuff. Mm-hmm. There's times when this thing seems to owe more to like the you know Sunday comic strip than you know Jack Kirby or something like that, or you know Frank Miller for that matter in that sort of time period. So I don't know. I I think that's that's at least the first thing that strikes me visually is like I don't really have a way to process this. I don't. I can't catalog this immediately. Cartoon realism. Uh, yeah, very much. Yeah, I got I Well, say, that that would be a good way to do it. <laughs> I got I, I gotta say that there is like a part of me that died reading this because I am uh, I have been a I, I've been a huge uh, Bone fan and Jeff Smith fan for a big portion of my life, thinking that he was the most wildly original. Like he like nobody ever self published and had cartoons hanging out with humans or like really wacky. I was like. And just like I started reading through this, and I was just like, "Damn it!" <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was like, "Holy crap! This is this is that whole Steve just with a." With, and Jeff yeah. Jeff Smith cites him, yeah, as as a, uh, an influence, right? And and again, and, and but I was I was I, I got so excited because I just I felt I felt myself just ease like I just immediately lo- like just love that juxtaposition because bone has made me feel so many emotions in my life. And, I mean, this is definitely, like, if just phony bone. Like, if if, the, if bone was just about phony bone. <laughs> yeah, Like, because yeah. phony bone yeah, is basically Cerebus without the ability to actually do back I up. I didn't think about that, does. but I think I think you're right. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty good comparison, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, too, Jeff Smith and uh, Dave Sim also had a falling out. And, I uh, also... Like, want to just say that that was strike one and two for me when I read that <laughs> on Dave Sims part. Cause I was like, who wants to hurt Jeff Smith? He's like, what is wrong? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But like, again, I'll, I'll, I'll touch more on my simping for Jeff Smith in this specific context when we get around to why they were. And I'm sure him. later episodes as well. But, All the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I right. sneak it in when I but, edit it. Back to the art, though. Um, the, I mean, there's other striking stuff here, which is like the use of negative space is super interesting. It's interesting just bec- for the sheer variety, but it also does a lot in terms of kind of uh, affecting tone. It, it cre- you know generates different sort of mood. Uh, there's also the stuff that's pretty surprising. I, now it's a little bit more done, but at the time, the panel work here was crazy. Like I know this is weird because it's it's now I mean it would be considered gimmicky I think if they came out now but like in the eighties like that you have to turn this volume to read it and like wonder why that's happening I think is pretty fun and and again impressive for when it happened yeah uh, on that point because like I didn't notice it until that that uh that like angle switch thing happened uh but he also is really good at using um, pauses which is a weird thing. Which is a weird thing to say in a static medium, but there will be like someone will say something, and then there will be three panels of just a facial expression uh, on Cerebus's faces slowly change and shift before he says something, and before like he actually responds. And it that is such a powerful and effective tool if you do, if you could do it right to like really sell the like the sincerity of the conversation of the, like what they're talking about like i understand right i understand cerebus in a way that i generally can't understand things that don't move in front of me you know like i like his whole energy comes across in a lot of his body language more than it does what he says like you 
I, what he says is great and a lot and really layered, but just, I don't know, just his facial expressions with his contempt are so... I Well, I noticed that too, and it's it's he's a master cartoonist because he's getting these sort of feelings and emotions out of someone whose face is like, I mean, he's anthropomorphic, but like, it's not a person's face. It's a, you know, it's a... I don't know if this is what aardvarks even look like, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like it, it is interesting that level of like complexity and, and how much he can communicate through this thing that doesn't even have like a normal yeah. nose and mouth. Yeah. Cause like everybody else, I mean people, everybody emotes, but like to that, uh, that Prince Valiant comparison, there is kind of a like uh, stuck tapestry, like kind of everybody's just in a pose, you know, like kind of around him. And I feel like right, they're right, all right, just right. frozen yeah. as he is, being very animated within them. I mean, the way he moves across rooftops and shit. Like, he is... he is. It's so obvious he is a cartoon in a, in a regular world. Uh, just a, in every way that isn't, like, pointed. But, yeah. And, and then the last thing I'll bring up here, and, and, and then you guys can say whatever you want, uh, just in terms of the art, is that, you, you know, you kind of have to mention the way he deals with text. Like, on two levels, I mean, I kind of douchily compared him to E. Cummings at one point. I, I might want to take that back a little bit, a little bit much, but but the point is is that he's very concerned and 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 thoughtful about where the text is going to go on the page, uh, and again in ways that like I don't even know if they're always good ideas, but they're like smart or like they're they're um, experimental. He's trying things. They're things that an editor probably would have shut down. And then the other thing, text wise, and I think what's funny is like for a long time people just tell you it's bad. It's really wordy he has entire pages where it's just oh shit i'm back into a book isn't that weird and what's funny about that is uh now there's this guy jonathan hickman that fucking (laughs) does that shit all the time uh and yeah i mean look i i i think there's way more um tolerance for that that and than people would have said for a long time there's way more it's like no remember most comic readers also read fucking books mm-hmm. there's not yeah. a reason why you can't transition that way especially if you have a kind of thoughtful reason for the story and going back to a lot of the golden age stuff that he draws inspiration from uh comics were much more wordy back then than they are right. nowadays i mean now they're much more focused on the bam pow bop fast moving action from page to page getting your anticipation up as you turn that next page while like with Cerebus sometimes you're like do I even want to know what comes on the next page like gosh I'm a little oh boy he's talking about drinking again here we go <laughs> um yeah honestly like it, it's changed in uh like our lifetime uh I I, I especially now when I read um, comics that were even like just 10 years sort of before I started reading comics so stuff from the 80s early 80s the the just amount of text on the page even away from like having narration and and you know these more like discursive pieces or whatever just the amount that they'll let a character think and say on the page it's it's like a vastly different reading experience than now mm-hmm. and I, I don't really have a strong preference either i think that there's costs and benefits uh, you know of, of both no if the things. story's told well it, you know it can be told well in both ways but that is definitely his preference is to be verbose <clears throat> i yeah and i yeah. i think go ahead Buddle, sorry. well no 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 i like piggyback off that because i kind of I, I have a tangential uh point to make about i like i he is wordy as shit and i think like also like the negative space that he utilized there there were parts of me the way his frame structure was hap- like was was done uh especially like in the beginning 
uh, was I was like, this guy just wants more space for words, or without it being all tiny and bumble like jumbled, you know, like in in a sure. like little tight boxes. Uh, but there also is like, I I was like, he also like set out to do something uh, that was a Herculean feat, uh, which is to get out 20 pages a month uh, on his own, write it, public, get it out, and to continuously build this story. So the less, less paper you're writing, or, you know, like, the less, less drawing you're doing in, in an art, like, if you can make it, if you can have a decision that is like, yeah, these panels are really crazy right. looking, then everybody's not going to realize that it helped you get to the deadline, you know, a little bit. And But leaving that blank space for narrative was also... They, uh, it's, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the only time it looked like a normal comic is when he like actually is on top, like when like he actually like is in like he he does become uh, like gets gets voted in as prime minister, and it's like uh, it, it, it that's only when it's like side to side panels, like straight up like like for a moment yeah, his life is like a normal comic or I I don't know or at least his understanding. I don't of it I don't is. think that. I don't think it's the case that that's the only time, but I, I know what yeah, you mean. Yeah, no, it's like but, more dominant. but yeah, yeah. actually the, the, the times prior to after he's elected that it runs like a normal comic are the times you, you had it right when you said when he's on top, when he's actually feeling like he's doing good and things are going well, that's when it reads like a normal comic. The mm-hmm. rest of it then becomes very disjunct, yeah. and I think it's intentional to try to show you the spiral and the chaos that he's existing in. Um, you know, I mean, to me, I look at those those weird uses of negative space and, and the large uses of negative space a lot of times, and I'm like, this is a man that loves this medium so much and has studied it so hard for so long that like he you know was literally seeing these pages in his head and then mastering the ability to be able to present it on a piece of paper for the rest of us the way he envisioned it pretty faithfully I think in a lot of cases but yeah I think it was done intentionally in a lot of ways building up to that point to to show this parallel uh you know threads that he was on and how it could have gone one way or the other yeah yeah and and to that end by the way I was gonna say like there's an element about this that's weird in terms of the detail because I I think it hits you slowly. Like in my mind's eye version of the art in this, uh, for a lot of the times, it's less complicated than the real deal. In other words, like I have this idea that it's sort of very simplistic and it's cartoony, um, despite all the interesting things that are going on. But then when you look at it again with sort of fresh eyes, the amount of detail in everything like the crumpling of suits, the room they're in, his shoes, the textures are actually really advanced. And it's sort of similar to what Wendell said, this sort of like cartoon realism or something like that, or maybe that was York, um, about how he's sort of combining the two in this really weird way, where he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this kind of the broader silhouettes sometimes, like, I mean, just the shape of Cerebus, right? Uh, in this very basic, you know, cartoon cell kind of way. But then the levels of detail and realism that he applies to that, it, it reminds me of Bill Watterson a lot too. Uh, like things I like about it. So that's pretty fucking cool. I I mean, I'd have to admit that I've cheated somewhat uh, having read further into the story than y'all have. <laughs> and, uh, and then the stuff that he's putting out nowadays, like Cerebus is dead, obviously. So like anything that comes out now is Cerebus in hell because obviously Cerebus is sort of a terrible, per- terrible person. Right, right. Ter- He's he's very terrible. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, so it's all done on uh, 
Gustave Doré's uh, Dante's Inferno illustrations and then Cerebus is just superimposed on top of them. So, I mean, like, cartoon realism taken to the nth nth degree uh and it's it's just fantastic i mean he's he's in hell having conversations with these you know beautifully wrought uh almost chiseled out of marble illustrations of humans suffering in hell and then there's cartoon aardvarks aardvark cerebus uh like well what's your problem man i mean like you know <laughs> you made your choices yeah hey, look the, uh the last thing i'll say about the art and then we can uh, we should probably move on in the service of time. And this is very pretentious, but it just happens to be true. There's this thing in here that reminded me of Nietzsche. Now I know. I, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We've never. We wait, wait. This, this comparison has never come up on this show before. Could you please? No, no, uh, no. Like, well, so, so here's here's the way, which is that like when you read Nietzsche early on, uh, he has a tendency to be very like mystic and uh, like technically aphoristic and stuff like that. Um, and so it'll be very like, um, you know, gnomic poetic sort of things. And if you're more of a assholey analytical philosopher, you're like, man, why can't he just write a goddamn argument? And then every once in a while he goddamn does. He'll write a more technical, almost Aristotelian sort of argument. And it'll be better than any other ones you've read just at the technical level, just the logical rigor, the, uh, what do you call it? The organization, everything like that. This comic reminded me of that because there are times when he renders something that looks more like a conventional comic. A lot of the moon roach stuff in here, the Artemis guy, the like roach guy, oh. um, and where you're like, oh, he could have been working. He could have done just normal, like at the time, like image comics. He could have been a Spider-Man artist. So it's just kind of cool because like you, he, he every once in a while he kind of like almost brags or whatever. He's like, no, I can do that shit too. And and it's it's just kind of cool. It's a fun little moment, I think. Oh, that fun! The introduction of the the moon roach, like when he's standing on top of that building, and like just yeah, the you know the the whole scene is like, yeah, this is a this is a Marvel comic quality cover um, right. that you would have <laughs> yeah. bought just based on the strength of this art. But we're gonna move on, and uh, oh boy, this character is really nuts! Like yeah. wow, look at that. I, I did just want to say real quick because it was something that stood out to me when I did the research after the fact that like. Uh, like the art originally looked like Mad Magazine cartoons. Like, 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 like he came at it yeah. so he came at it so earnest and from the ground up and like built his skill set and then suddenly unlocked Super Saiyan mode with uh thir- fifty hits of acid and just like exploded. Like, like he just blew his creative brain out and it shows. I mean, it's so weird. Okay, well, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the story. Let's get into it a little bit more. Um, and I mean, there's a lot we could say here. Uh, there's a lot of different angles. Um, the first is, or at least I'll, I'll open it up this way and we can talk a little bit more, um, or take it in whatever direction you guys want to. Um, what I was a bit struck by is that this is political satire, right? And I'm curious what you guys think, and we don't have to go so far into like any kind of political argument, but I don't know what his politics are. Which is interesting, doing a political satire. Um, I mean, I, you can get some sense. I mean, like, what, so what do you, how do you guys understand this? Because part of me thinks that this is just, I don't know, like, um, kind of apolitical in a way. Like, uh, a, like, in other words, that kind of suggesting all politics is sort of, you know, overly Byzantine and silly and yeah. cynical or, or what have you. Or uh, did you, what, what conclusion do you, did you guys draw about that? 
it seemed to be kind of um, almost a, an anarchist sort of perspective. You know, all politicians are uh, power mad and corrupt. And um, yeah, I mean, I didn't see like, you know, there wasn't a socialist perspective or a fascist perspective. It seemed like, you know, all right. this is nonsense. It seemed to be the critique to me. Yeah. Right, right. It's it's like a simple, it, it's like a, a system that is set up on paper uh, to be as simple and functional as possible uh, in pl- in practice becomes so so messy and complicated and just sure. backed up and uh, poorly handled. I don't know, like I the contempt that I, I I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this guy just hates politics. He he like just politics in general are stupid to him. But that's not true. Uh, well, like, he's so well informed on not, them. Like I, I mean, it's like. Or I, I don't know. I think it, he hates the way people handle politics. Like, like you know. No, like, no, no. I, I, I wasn't correcting you like that. I, like, I think that's a totally fair reading. Uh, I mean, as a fact, as like that, I looked up in an interview. He talks about being a political junkie and liking politics. He has which to I be. thought was yeah, yeah. I mean, like the yeah. comparisons. Yeah. Like, like he adores way- it. I, I, yeah. He just wishes that more people paid more attention. And it was handled by people who were more right. capable. I think it, it, from I, I read it really like a anarchist is very close, but really it's almost humanist. Uh, he just longs that we had actually more of an enlightened society where more thoughtful, more capable people were engaged in these sorts of behaviors instead of the guys just trying to get free sketches. Yeah. Like, like I, yeah. I hate politics because yeah. I'm too dumb to understand it. He no, hates politics not. from the <laughs> well. I mean, like I'm I I. I Whatever, I'm waiting for the world to burn. But like he understands it, or he hates it on <laughs> like it, he he hates it on such a well-informed technical level that I right. yeah I it's it's impressive to read. It's like Terry Pratchett, but with a, a lot of rage. Um, yeah, that's like a good a comparison. What, yeah, and what I think is pretty interesting too, just at the writing level, one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was this kind of contrast where he takes this character that's very elemental in a way, right? Very kind of basic and simple and, you know, I somewhat uncomplicated, at least internally, and then pushes them through this machine that's like this incredibly convoluted Byzantine Baroque kind of thing. And what you get in like the plotting of this, like, he, you know, anytime Cerebus tries to do something to get one of his own simple ends, he just wants to get rich or something like that. It's like the world of politics is this Rube's Goldberg machine thing, or what, Rube Goldberg, Goldberg, Rube Rube, Goldberg one of those, yeah, yeah uh, machines that like he pulls uh, a very complicated or a simple lever, complicated mechanism, and then it just comes around and kicks him in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's crazy how like competent and intelligent uh, Dan Sims writes service, like like on a on a social level, like he knows how to manipulate and work people and understand situations in a way that he doesn't necessarily uh, like express like no nobody would look at him and think he is completely on the up and up or like on the on the take about everything like he he knows exactly what everybody's doing except the people that are directly fucking controlling him which is so wild yeah i kind of just i kind of disagree here but i think it's very he's he's wildly trumpian and i actually think it's a good analogy uh in that like there's something about trump there's a kind of animal cunning yeah that he has there and there is a kind of uh like kind of i don't know 
coming out of a certain cynicism and a certain reptile nature that he kind of just gets where like how to manipulate people or or something like that but it's not cerebral like it's not out of a you know powerfully analytic uh, you know incisive view into the mechanisms or something like that I, I, I think Cerebus does get over on certain people in certain ways. Yeah. But it's usually not on the basis of, like, you know, understanding that the larger structure so well. It's more just sort of like, ah, I can kill them in this way. Like, you know, he's, yeah, yeah. he's thinking more like a, a pig or something like that. Yeah. Like, it, it's like Savo Fair, right? It's like he understands how to, he understands, like, how to trick people and like he he understands how to like do street level sh- bullshit but like when it gets to this bigger level that he's handled that he's walked into uh he is right. completely uh, oblivious to it because everybody else is uh everybody else is trying to do the same thing basically just for different reasons yeah and and I'll say too that that also struck me which is that like there's a way that he's out of his context when he's in this political world, but that they all kind of have the same personality as him, which is that they all like mm-hmm. at a core, they're all very venal. You know, they're all self-interested. They're all, you know, basically shitty uh, <laughs> or what have you. So he sort of, I think understands he, he kind of, uh, you know, like game recognize game. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, Therein is the humanism I was referring to, you know, I mean, uh, I think Dave Sim kind of sees it that like, you know, whether you're left, whether you're right, whether you're in the middle, um, everybody is trying to advocate for what they think is the best way, right? Uh, Wrong or right. But everybody is kind of serving their own self-interest, even if they're doing it with the best intentions. Yeah, I think that's right. yeah. And then the, the other thing that I think is interesting about this that kind of works as a, I, I, I don't want to, I don't know how to say this, like defensible uh, aspect of this. That's like, oh, I actually think this is interesting at a, at a more psychoanalytic level is that there's this kind of like character who is, like I said, represents very like childlike id, like just wants things without much consideration for the moral or, you know, or broader responsibility or something like that. And, and there's a kind of going through this larger process and failing because he realizes that like the world is just way more complicated and you know what I mean? Like, and, and you can't just go in and like stab people and yell at them and, 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 you know, kick them in the ass until they do what you want. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think Cerebus really learns a lesson in this, but I do think there is a sort of like almost like cautionary tale about the idea of like, look, the world is actually the way it is because of very complicated, unforeseen mechanisms. Not ju- It's not just something you can slap around or make do what you want to do. And it does kind of come to a certain kind of like ruin, you know, by doing his barbarian shtick. Yeah. Oh, and you, uh, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head because as the story progresses beyond high society, uh, that is exactly what happens to him. It is a, a cautionary tale about trying to beat up the world to make it do what you want it to do because the world will hit back eventually. Yeah, and so what the fuck yeah. do we make of that? Like, <laughs> like the reason I say this is that, like, and I want to get everybody's ideas here is that, like, so we, and we can probably start talking a little bit more about the broader kind of, I don't know, controversies or what was Dave Sim, uh, like, what kind of writer is he? what kind of author, things like that. Um, 
that seems weirdly self-aware to me in a way that when you read about the controversies that befell him and him doing these interviews and, and things like that, like maybe he's not so self-aware in real life, but he seems incredibly self-aware or, or did he just accidentally create this character that mirror, mirrors him or something like that? Like, what do you guys, what do you make of it? I mean, I don't think I'm the only one that made that connection, well, right? That's that, what, I think somebody I said like it. That's what happens when you do art. I mean, subconscious stuff is going to come out like things that you're, you know, uh, thinking about subconsciously, those themes will come out whether, whether you mean to on purpose or not. I mean, I, I think they're, you know, that worked itself into this comic. But it's, it's, I agree with you that clearly everything is, I mean, any piece of art is at some level autobiographical or whatever. But I don't think writers always actually accidentally reproduce themselves as characters. You know what I mean? Like, um, like Citizen Kane, right? I mean, he's doing Hearst, right? Uh, he's, it didn't end up being mapping on as like the life of Orson Welles. Maybe it did, actually. I don't, I, maybe I, that does happen. But I, I would just say this seems even to go a little further um, because, again, this sort of stubborn asshole who's pushing up against, you know, who, who, is, who we can at some level respect and, and uh, find an affection in their stubbornness and their will, you know, pushing against... I think more maybe realistic, uh, you know, uh, obstacles or something like that. Mm-hmm. As a well, he's a meme, right? Yeah. What does that mean in this like, context? A, by the way, yeah. somebody said that as well. I didn't really fully understand it. Well, I mean, he's just a, an allegory for an idiot oh, man. Right, right. I mean, uh, and in that regard, Dave Sim is is you know an idiot man just like the rest of us sitting here are idiot men. Uh, I mean, we're all subject to these greater mechanisms that happen around us and cause the roads to get paved and the internet connection to be good or bad or indifferent. I mean, uh, there's all these things happening around us that are based on this interconnected, cooperative world that we've created and at the end of the day, we all just want a stack of pancakes and a couple bucks in our pocket, you know, (laughs) Um, a dog to pet or a a desk to sit at, whatever the case may be. I mean, we're simple creatures in an incredibly complex world. And Cerebus is just meant to kind of represent, uh, you know, the idea of this, this stumbling, barely evolved creature, right? Cartoonish as it is. I mean, we're probably a thousand times more cartoonish than he is. Um, If we could see ourselves from some other perspective besides human, and uh yeah i mean idiot man but i feel so smart (laughs) (laughs) well we all we all feel well that's uh that that actually kind of that's that reminds me or leads me to the point i was going to make which is that like as a young hayseed in south carolina thinking that he's like the only smart person in town and like the only person who's like cultured and decides to like sell everything he's got and just head out to a, like a city where culture is uh, and think he's just going to fit right in. I get this. Like I, <laughs> when I got to Austin, I just remember being like spending a lot of time trying to figure out how I was going to ask my mama if I could come home for like the first month. Cause I was just like, <laughs> I mean, in Austin's a tiny city. Why are all these cool people? So not cool. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, Austin's a big, why don't they love me? <laughs> right. Well, I, I was just blown away by the amount of asphalt I was interacting with on a daily basis. His pavement was everywhere, and it was wild. But wow, I, I yeah, no, I got I, it, like it's, I'm, and I'm speaking more to just like uh, 
what I was used to and like what I thought I wanted was complexity and uh, you know things happening. And then I got here and it was scary and it threw me off. And then I got used to it and then I got to see what it really was, which is Man. a lot more uh, cutthroat and a lot more. Uh, so I, I all don't know. that pavement. There's there's so many. Like, all that goddamn. When you got in a car, that, that must have been yeah. really something, huh? <laughs> I was uh, I, when I saw an adult bus. I was like, "What?" Beats Brandon a tractor, <laughs> right? Right. That's fantastic. Uh, but I I was the kind of person that measured that told you how to get somewhere as the crow flies, and then I show up to a place and have to learn blocks. But like the more I the more I like got used to that and became comfortable or familiar with it, and the older I get, the more I long for the simplicity of my home. Like hometown life, like everybody's so happy back mm-hmm. home, and I'm fucking miserable out here thinking that I'm smart or whatever. Now I feel like you read here. a very different text than us, where it's like you read like Country Mouse, City Mouse. <laughs> We're like, no, Cerebus. Like, you're... <laughs> well, I just, I just feel like he doesn't like. He obviously doesn't belong right. here, but and he and he doesn't like being there. But he, by God, he's gonna fucking he's gonna take it for everything he's he wants got. That money. And, yeah, yeah, and it's he just. He was a he was like a big fish in a little pond, and then moved to a much larger pond, and thought he could be the big fish. We, and just we had very different experiences because actually when I went to New York, New York changed because of me. Like that was it's that different. <laughs> yeah, I actually you can conquered ask, it. I don't, I don't know if I told you about this. I but Liv Schreiber told me that he actually said that in front of a coffee I miss house. That guy. <laughs> I really do. Um. But that journey you're describing is is very much the same that Dave Sim experienced too, as he grew in prominence in the industry, started making more connections, uh, you know, and then eventually started finding himself in a situation with bridges before him that he was either going to maintain or burn, you know, and like you know a, a little fish in a big pond, and uh, you know whether he was uh, somebody that people looked up to and respected or not, still I, I think you know that sort of uh, like outsider mentality that he was probably born with where he developed this great perspective on how systems work in the world and and uh you know what what idiot chaos looks like that one person can generate um but but that's what i think is crazy it's a further element that this that's wild to me is that like there's a way that the plot the the larger architecture of the story in high society like as you sort of suggested sort of maps on to what happened him to him in the, in the comic industry. Um, because it's, it's true. Like he kind of rose pretty quickly, especially at a kind of indie level. Like he said, he was friends with Neil Gaiman and like what he had done in terms of like the art form and the sort of inside the industry. Like it was really, uh, I don't know. He, he had a kind of meteoric rise, I guess. Um, but it doesn't go well because eventually some of the more, let's say, challenging parts of Dave Sim begin to rub against the political and cultural values of the rest of the industry. Um, and in a way that, sure. by the way, I think there was more room for, which is ironic than there is now. Um, like if you compare him with Ethan Van Skyver, uh, like the way, like <laughs> the, the sort of our generation's version of this is sort of comics gate. And I'm not, or I'm not necessarily saying that they're his political values or or political ideologies are the same as the comic skate guy. Though I guess Ethan von Skiver has like had like an open like thank you to him or whatever. But that like 
there is some interesting stuff about you know yeah the the way they were looked upon in their industries is is very similar yeah for the time though you're absolutely right i mean the uh the level of inflammatory uh ideology that uh dave sim expressed compared to ethan van skyver right. is night and day i mean yeah uh you know dave sim was just like can we hell i don't even really you know honestly know what he was advocating for i mean you know the the, the major claim that everybody levies against him is being a misogynist but as you and i you know briefly discussed earlier his female characters are some of the most fully formed fleshed yeah. out complex interesting powerful you know capable with agency characters uh, of any that i've ever seen i mean certainly far greater than a gene gray oh yeah x-men i mean when the third page of X-Men number one, they're all staring out at the window of her while she's coming up the driveway. I mean, like, oh, my God. I mean, like, really? He's getting static for, like, uh, a guy who's upset because he got his heart broken? I mean, that's 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 how it is. It happens. Well, yeah. Okay, know? so you've said a lot there that I find really interesting. So one, let's talk about the, the text itself first. Because, okay, so I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, if people are criticizing Dave Smith for, you know, being a misogynist, uh, and it's not he he published some stuff in this comic later on. It wasn't in the comic we read, but it's later on. That is a little bit more openly, uh, almost technically misogynistic. In other words, I don't mean he hates all women or something. I mean it has a kind of you know there's a something about women or the nature of women that are sort of problematic or overly emotional or whatever. Um, but anyway, no. But in the comic, you're absolutely right. He writes really interesting characters. And I think uh, women characters that are not, I mean, some of the situations that he has in later on, um, there's a rape kind of character thing that happens. Um, I can't really comment too much about it. I'm not avoiding it. I just didn't read it and don't know enough about it to really condemn it or, or excuse it or whatever. But anyway, just his, his writing of characters, of, of women characters, they are complicated. And I think part of it is because he is actually challenged somewhat by women and thinking about women in mm -hmm. ways that let's contrast it with the kind of progressive ideas that some like progressive writers, they'll write women meaning to be complimentary and meaning to be almost feminist, but because they're not really grounded in their feminism, it's a much more like kind of patronizing and like, um, you know, it, yeah. And Homage. easy. And, and so in other words, it's sort of like they write these women characters that are so powerful that then they have to make crazy, which I think is hilarious. It literally happens all the, from right. Jean wow. Grey to Scarlet yeah. Witch, it happens so many times. And that comes out of a more like kind of, sure. um, what do you get? What's the word? Like, um, it's reverence. reverence, but it's also just sort of like kind of, uh, again, I'm probably not going to do better than like patronizing, a, but yeah, facile reverence, much, you know, um, yeah. Whereas, so whereas Dave Smith writes women in a much more complicated way, but sometimes you can't tell whether it's out of respect or because he really respects his enemy. I mean, there is an element <laughs> of adversarialness. But what yeah. I mean, e yeah, he, either way it goes, though, it's clear that he spent a lot of time trying to occupy the sure. headspace of a woman. And I mean, to put them that all in, in its camps own right is kind of and no, I'm just fine. not really. Yeah, <laughs> holy shit. He is the like Quint from Jaws, like like women are are his there you Jaws, go. yes, and yeah. he or, he or understands them and thinks they are beautiful. Moby Dick, right? Yeah, yeah right. right. Well, I mean, you're in the water, yeah, right. and the woman's yeah. in the water, and 20, thirty-seven yeah. men went down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I but I I I I agree though. I think like I I it's that is such a strange juxta, juxtaposition, but it's also just I, I and maybe somebody can help clarify for me. I don't like we don't necessarily need to like hit it here, like pause to talk about his thing, but like I he he would argue that he was not a misogynist. He, he was an anti-feminist, and I right. really uh, I, I really understand. A, I I don't I don't know how that's not just evading or like uh just using like how how that's getting just clever with your wording or whatever the two things really kind of correlate right. for me but um yeah but at the same time i'm inclined to agree with you feminism uh, like my my yeah, understanding I mean, yeah. of this guy is that a lot of what he said is pretty i mean i'll use a word that's annoying but problematic um and that challenging yeah well but i and i think it's ideologically questionable like, um, but I think that like he had a very difficult breakup, uh, and that doesn't excuse any of the stuff that he said that is wrong or bad. But I think it is meaningful to to <laughs> explain that like it doesn't seem to have come. It seems to have come from a very like hurt place. And you know, there's a, a sort of truism, cute Arby's style slogan of like hurt people hurt people. And I think that there's a sense where he is yep. very much reacting to to something. There's another thing that I think is difficult for people, and very clearly, a lot of conservatives are like don't understand how to live in a world like this, where they don't know how to be on the other end of kind of cultural hegemony, meaning that there is clearly uh, going on a kind of rising conspicuous feminism that he disagrees with in the 80s and 90s, and. I think he found it deeply oppressive, the idea that now, not not that there was this philosophy out there of feminism and uh, gay acceptance and, and things of that nature, but that it, had a, it was sort of rising to the fore. It wasn't just something that he was going to have to be tolerant of. As a matter of fact, he was going to have to, he felt it was being intolerant of him. Um, yeah. And, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think you're on the right path. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, no, sorry, sorry. Well, going. I mean, it's it's difficult, and I I sort of like look. I'm gay, as I hate to tell you guys, but I am gay. <laughs> and uh, he said some stuff that's kind of homophobic. I mean, it is homophobic, right? But like, you know, you put it in the time and the context or whatever. And I just have to at least respect the fact that, like, you know, it for especially in the '80s and the '90s, this was relatively new territory, and a bunch of people were going to have to very quickly figure out how to live in a changing world and that he was this the way he dealt with it was to try to argue with it vociferously in a combative way um and that's yeah i mean yeah it's not uh, the most admirable way to uh to uh affect change in oneself you know but uh but i think at the same time uh you know you can't engage in any conflict with anything and not come away changed from it and i think dave sim would probably be one to sit down and tell you that very thing uh and so it was his way of like working through this changing landscape of society that he was seeing in front of him and uh yeah uh, uh you know i mean like is he uh someone that i would put behind a podium and ask you know to usher in a new age no not in a million. I mean, we years. saw it would happen but, in Serapis. Uh, th- no, no, no. I'm sorry. Actually, that might right. be the horse to bet on <laughs> yeah, these yeah. days. Sometimes, yeah. depending on the angle. Well, 
you know, and then so that's what I was saying from the onset is in the world that we exist in nowadays, it's interesting to go back and look at this text and to see that, like, you know, some of these ideas that he was playing with the way he was thinking itself aren't so outmoded and and rogue you know i mean like i I think he's kind of cast i mean uh to say that somebody has uh you know a bad mindset but that they've clearly like attempted to to get to the best mindset that they could is still a far better thing to me than to say that someone is just blatantly intolerant or ignorant um just and and has no interest or desire whatsoever to understand or to 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 have a conversation at all and he is always willing to have the conversation and and again going back to him being a meme I mean, I think in a lot of cases he probably loses patience and he will just throw out something to cut off the conversation right there and end the discussion if he starts to feel uncomfortable. And, you know, there's no telling what kind of long-term psychological effects doing a lot of acid <laughs> like that has on somebody. There there may be, like, truly a level to which he cannot function anymore without some, like, heavy anxiety or something. But he's the villain in this story, of course, and so we don't give him any of those considerations because he said bad words and he has to, like, suffer for that forever. And I think that very mindset uh, is the kind of thing that he's trying to combat more often than not is that things aren't always right. so black I, and white. I actually have said a similar thing about it. It's weird to me that, like, it's a very – it is a sort of prevailing attitude, I suppose, where if you – think something's morally repugnant that rather i mean this is maybe it's natural or maybe it's i think it's it's more excusable now what that ought to do with you is make you really interested in it like not agree with it but it ought to make you want to learn about it because your sort of strong you know like deep moral intuitions like when you have that reaction, like they can tell you a lot about what your values are, what you think. And then furthermore, I mean, what's really interesting about this is that like the people have really strong moral intuitions that are bad a lot. Like, so for instance, if you Mm -hmm. told people in the forties that gay people are gross and wrong, they just felt that to be intuitively true. And and there's this, and there's this miscommunication that people have that if they feel something intensely, it must mean it's extra true. And so anyway, so the point is like, I, I think that what we ought to do if we ha- we find something morally revolting, we ought to really be kind of like attracted to at least talking and thinking about it. Um, so, yeah. I mean... It's a lot yeah, easier to condemn than to think about it. Well, no, I, I... Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is a problem. But Okay, <laughs> so I'm the kind of guy when I hear somebody say like, yeah, this guy is a misogynist, he, or like he said a lot of misogynistic things. I'm the kind of guy who will go read those things first, I guess, before I go, all right, we'll burn him to the, at the stake. My one takeaway uh, from uh, his his just, I don't know, his little, his, his eruption in these scandals and the way he has handled them is that for somebody who could analyze uh, poli- like just the absurdity and the flaws in politics so objectively without like really leaning one way or the other, it's such a complicated system, but can't realize that he is being so subjective in his opinions and like his understanding. He, everything's so reactionary. Like someone, like someone who respected him out loud and like paid homage to him was like, "Hey, that 
sucks, man. And he was like, I will fight you. Yeah. And yeah. As a grown ass man. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, I, I will fist fight you in front of everybody. I agree. I think. Instead of just being like, maybe it, I don't, maybe it, it, I don't know. Like, there's no. From what I was able to read, it was the stuff about uh, Dave Sem that probably is the most incoherent. Like, and I say that, like, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think the misogyny is bad. I think the homophobia is bad. But the stuff he has about feelings versus thinking, I think is actually probably just incoherent. Yeah, meaning like, you know, as you illustrate really well, reacting, you know, defensively is very emotional. And there is this, again, I hate to be a feminist about it, but there is this way that like emotions that men are very inclined towards, we have a tendency to sort of talk about as if they're like, we don't associate them as being emotional. So if you get like incensed or indignant or angry <laughs> or, or whatever, then that's a bit, if you're, you know, more, um, sad or hurt or depressed or you know these sort of more maybe like passive emotions or or god forbid empathetic or you know whatever those are those are well so that's what i was trying to allude to is i I think dave sims ability to deal with people in real time is very limited but retro retroflective retroflexively yeah reflexively (laughs) what am i trying our word yeah after the fact yeah, uh, you know, he's able to sit down and take his time and parse through whatever happened, and then he can weave a tale wherein, you know, it's not black and white. It's human somewhere in the middle. There's this failure of communication. There's this inability to connect and to express and, and to, you know, move one's meaning across from, from one fixed goal to another. And it is a very complicated thing, as we all know. We've all dealt with it in our lives, undoubtedly. You know, and uh, I, I think that's a lot of the bane of his, his you know, separating the artist from the art. Uh, the art is his meditation on how terrible he is at the, dealing with The one people. thing I will say that I think, and it's not like I excuse it or whatever, but to contextualize this a little bit, I do also feel like he's just a victim of the early part of public discourse that was changing a lot and and the like we all have to be like at some level in the in the public relations business to ourselves in ways that I think people didn't have to do before so in other words like this is a person who was primarily an artist and a private citizen that got a public platform and didn't realize that there are these sorts of consequences for saying stuff in a public platform and they're not always fair consequences but they are unavoidable. So for instance, like reading a lot of his, I don't know, um, responses or reaction to the, the hatred that he got, uh, I think partly now reads, I, I think it's fair at the time, but now reads a bit naive, which is that like, if you say stuff that fundamentally people disagree with, you have to understand, especially if it can be personalized, you have to understand that those people are just going to hate you. And that's, that, that's the cost sometimes of saying, what you want to say. So for instance, like if you say some, if I just talk shit, which I do about pro-lifers, uh, <laughs> if I'm just like, look, if you're against a woman's right to choose, then that's immoral and bad. What I have to know is that some of them, if not most of them are just going to fucking hate me. And that is that thing I've got to deal with. And I think sometimes when I read this guy's reaction and it, it, you know, I mean, it's fair because a lot of people just aren't like, it's like all of a sudden he just got it. <laughs> He went from being this really interesting person that everybody lauded and stuff like to that to like, oh shit, thousands upon thousands of people hate me. But if you know, you just have to kind of like take your cuts, I think. And it, it seemed like he didn't, he wasn't prepared for for that or whatever. Yeah, there's that backwoods Toronto sort of 
energy of like kind of coming <laughs> out ah, milk every what's Toronto every shit, every w- once every like three months he has to ride in a town for hardtack and he's like know, more oats. of a Norm Macdonald and, character now <laughs> yeah 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 and every three months <laughs> yeah and it's like every three months suddenly new new groups of people can vote and you don't know what the hell's happening and I. My only issue is the weird sort of naivete. Like, the more that this kind of came up, like, the more people came at him and he responded with these things, he would, he, it started to bleed into his writing, from what I understand. And really, one of the things that, like, kind of blew his argument out of the water was, like, like, he said these things and then started to write about how, like, the, this magical aspect of the world where, Women are voids yeah. that or men are light and they're logical and they're the only ones that are capable of that. And women are just voids who are just prone to emotion and can't like meet men on that level and sort of only serve the purpose to ruin men. And it's like I didn't, I actually didn't know, I, I didn't see anything about the breakup. But the whole time I kept thinking that I was like, man, I wrote some pretty mean poetry in high school, <laughs> uh, exactly with this exact energy and. And he, just the fact that he's like, I, nuh-uh, they're just, they can't think like I can. And it's like, dude, just emotions, bring them down. It's all right, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we definitely didn't get that idea from Dune either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I kept thinking about Dune while I was reading this, actually. But just more in the complicated po- political world-building structure, not like anything uh, and related to what we were just talking about. Because that's Hatteracky. And I, and look, I, I don't want to overly defend uh, Dave Sims' misogyny or homophobia or, or really any. The point to me isn't to agree with him politically here, uh, but I will say there's a certain sense where some of the. I mean, this is like early example of cancel culture. There's kind of part of it that's I think totally unrealistic about what people are like when they are criticized. Um, and I, I I'll draw the analogy to, to Dave Chappelle when he had all the transphobic comments that he did in his comedy and stuff like that there was a thing that people kept saying about like he's not listening he's not listening to the criticism because for certain people who are more on the sort of progressive end when they kind of identify something as as wrong and problematic and then they tell those people what they think that listening is is when people respond to that shit with um oh i didn't realize that i'm a piece of shit and you're a great moral authority I'm not going to have any questions or disagreement. I'm just going to listen to you entirely and tell me exactly what to believe and think. And that's just not what people are like. And there's a thing where I think with mm. with Dave Sum where people kind of jumped on him and you know and rather than, you know, have this protracted conversation, rather than have a kind of tolerance for people actually being mistaken and wrong and trying to have a conversation about it. Which is, by the way, maybe not going to work. But the thing that absolutely won't work is just saying you're a piece of shit and evil and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe that's yeah. what we should do sometimes. But just understand that, like, the consequences of that are just shutting down discussion. The person's not going to learn anything. It's just what it's going to be like. Yeah. Like, you still want your uncle at Thanksgiving. Like, like you, 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 still, you still want him right. to hang out with the family. You just like whatever. Like at a certain point, it's just countdown till he's gone. I guess I, no, not really. But <laughs> you I, did your I'm best say, there. Like, <laughs> some people are just stuck there. No, no, no. I just mean like people are set in right. their ways, and like it, considering their contribute their contributions to your life, you get to make the decision to hear them out or not. 
and like what you you know it's like if you want to try and understand them you can if not uh you don't have to and a lot of people uh, a lot of people live on that live somewhere on that spectrum i feel like his that work he put in was good yeah and if we want to get back to the black comedy. and white <laughs> yeah, yeah and, it's and, and not only is it not black and yeah. white but like i think what's interesting is that like it seems like the things that made him successful and beloved uh, are just sort of unfortunately connected to the places that make him for a lot of people a pariah within the comic community. Like in other words, like, so why does he do this like crazy story that you shouldn't have done? Almost like it, like that, that everybody would say you can't do or shouldn't do and make it incredibly successful is because he's a, like very stubborn individualist that's going to not listen to other people. At some level, there's a kind of narcissism to it, which is like all of the experts must have told him this isn't how you do comics. And he was like, yeah, fuck you people. I don't listen to that. I, I listen to, you know, my own inner voice. And it, it kind of is what's amazing. Uh, and I think connected to him as an artist at the same time, you take that personality and now put it in a political context where maybe he's a little wrong and people are like, hey, you're an asshole. Stop that. Yeah, the same guy isn't going to like be like, well, yeah, I really listened to the prevailing indoxa of, of others. That's going to happen. It reminds me so much of like the Michael Jordan thing where it's like, like he's this amazing athlete who has this incredible ambition to succeed and, and co- competitive like nature, which also is a psychopath in every other context <laughs> off the court. So, yeah. Dude, two days from now, the last of that LSD is finally going to work itself out of his system, <laughs> and he is going to... You guys, I'm sorry. He is going to... That's heavy. ...come in tail between his legs. Oh, boy. I was up in the mountains. I didn't know what was... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But... Shit. Man, I don't know if it's... I don't think it's LSD. I think it's just a permanent hangover from the bad breakup with his wife, who, from what I understand, was a big part of like running his day-to-day right. business self-publishing thing, and I think... I just don't know if he ever got over that hurt. I feel like he reminds me of Philip K. Dick in the sense that, like, with Dick's second wife, um, after after that divorce or the breakup between those two, all of his women characters were like a dichotomy of either shrews or floozies, and that's shrewsies. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you can say that in Cerebus because I haven't read it all, but it definitely did carry over after that breakup. It, he's like that version of like Polka Dot Man and the Suicide Squad, James Gunn's movie, where he sees his mom everywhere. Like every person is his yeah. mom, and he sees his yeah. Oh my god. Well, that's yeah. I mean that that's kind of what I meant about like it's you base you, it's on a case to case basis where you decide what like if my friend's going through a bad breakup, I'm gonna get like I I'm gonna understand why he's saying bitch a lot, you know, all of a sudden, you know, just it's just working its way into his conversation. I'm going to just let him work himself out. But if he keeps doing it and then starts and makes a popular TV show about bitches and how they suck, right. I'm, I'm going to feel bad that I let that ball get rolling. You know what I mean? Well, but if your friend was doing that and then you and all his other friends were instead like, I'm not going to let him work through that. I'm just going to withdraw from this person completely. Like the comics industry did with Dave Sim. Uh, very quickly, uh, your friend would probably become more bitter and more enraged, yeah. and you know, start lashing Absolutely out even correct. more. Right? I mean, I, I, yeah, right. I mean, I, I think 
again, we're looking at someone who's not that good at regulating themselves, um, who may be an incredibly fantastically talented artist, but that doesn't mean that you're able to keep your mouth or your feelings in check or, or even articulate them on the fly, uh, you know, in any kind of way that, that most people are ready to hear. Yeah, I, I also feel like people yeah. that are successful in the entertainment industry really need somebody to tell them like, hey, a lot of the reason people that like you or that, that people like you isn't good and is going to go away. Like, like, because there's a... <laughs> he definitely could have used a publicist. But, but yeah. it's sort of like, I think, in other words, like, um, it's, it's sort of, he was cool, like, when it was coming up, and there's a lot of people that are, jump on a bandwagon like that. He's, look, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from his artistic merits, but I mean, like, and then there's a lot of people who see uh, money in what he's doing. Like, this is a successful sort of thing. So it's sort of like, when he now has this sort of albatross around his neck when he actually gets the stank of like politically incorrect on him a lot of those people that he probably thought you know were saying he was a genius for a good reason you know when it's like okay you're no longer the million dollar whale and also you're not cool to like those people evaporate and i think a lot of you know i I, weirdly enough i think the same thing happened to Chappelle, where when a lot of the progressives that had just championed him as this amazing person uh, when he moved away from them, when he got, polit- you know, I think he f- kind of couldn't deal with the fact that like, oh, some of the people saying I was a moral genius actually weren't doing it out of principles, but because they, they're just inclined to elevate people like that. Yeah. Like the way, like I, his writing in this, com- the the comedy, like the, like the way humor and, and like drama and satire all sort of you don't like like you you can't really know what's going to happen here because like at first it seems very safe because he he do, he doesn't really hurt anybody it, it, like uh but like as it gets deeper you don't know whether it's you know like whether something a very important person's going to die or something and i think his converse just his dialogue his dialogue to everyone mm-hmm. else is the funniest shit in the world and like i say that from a 2023 perspective for like to have been, I didn't think people were writing shit that clever. No, he, he, yeah, we, I thought we were all being, we cheated. didn't say enough about it, honestly. And that's like, we can only do so much in the episode, but I think you're absolutely right. He is a very funny writer. Like, especially the Groucho Mark stuff. He understands Groucho's voice really well. Oh my God. Oh no. Yeah. Just that. I love the, the use of the Groucho Marks. I mean, I would, I knew that we were only going to kind of scratch the surface to this, comic but let's do i mean you know and we can always discuss it later if we continue with the series or whatever um but let's let's do some final thoughts and then let's do some recommendations and i release you guys after that because i know it's way later than we thought it was going to be um i'll just i'll start with some final thoughts uh i'll say look i I, at this point uh if you have google or you're you even know who dave sim is you probably are aware of the controversies the thing after reading this that I want to get across is that the, the literary merits, especially in terms of like graphic literary merits, are just there and worth revisiting. I think it's a really well-written thing. I think it's innovative, and I think he's important historically. And look, I don't share his politics. I don't share... And, and I think, by the way, if you hate this motherfucker because of the shit he said, that's fair too. I'm not really going against that but i just specifically with the book i'm glad we read this uh and i i I think that you kind of owe it to yourself to sort of read this because i do think it's it's it it was in ways hard to get into but i think it's worth worth the the work so 
It's definitely better. Yeah, than yeah. I'm not. Oh, I yeah. don't suggest the the, the Rand lady. Um, I would. I would. I would. It, it's. I don't know. It's like Terry Pratchett and uh, I don't know George Carlin, kind of like like there's this like Terry Pratchett plus anger mm-hmm. and contempt that I think is really fun in 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 this writing, especially for the time that it came out in. Chris, you got any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, I don't jibe with his personal opinions, but um, I mean, I was glad I read it. I was glad we um, George, um, York picked this one because it was challenging and it was something I hadn't been aware of and wouldn't have read otherwise. Uh, and the art is really, you know, well done. It's 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 a good, it's a well put together comic. But um, I was well. Maybe if I'd read more or continued to read, I would have understood it better. But it was like watching the Chronicles of Riddick. I was constantly trying to figure out what is going on, what is all this background stuff. Um, it's it's a very dense story. It's um it, it, it's uh, hard to get into at times. Nice. Your what are your final thoughts for us today? Yeah, and then I got to put this mic down and actually bolt out the door because I was supposed totally to be gone a bit that. ago. So, gentlemen, thank you for having me and uh, and and reading this crazy thing. Now this has just been way too much fun, so that's why I'm still here. But uh, yeah, uh, Cerebus doesn't have anything against ambition as long as it doesn't interfere with Cerebus's <laughs> drinking. That's a good ending. Thank you so much. Okay, just keep things rolling along. So let's start with some recommendations, uh, or let's let's start. Let's end with some recommendations. Uh, Jorg had some as he <laughs> was running out the door. One was shop at your local comic store. I agree. If you're going to buy, don't, don't order everything off Amazon. I get that. But like, you know, support your local business. Um, comic stores are amazingly important to me and they've been very meaningful in my life. And so I think you should support them. He also said Glamour Puss, which is the other thing that Dave Sim did, or one of the other things he did. And uh, ElfQuest, which he also mentioned in the podcast. And I think uh, it would be cool, by the way, for York to come back and we'll do ElfQuest because it's another thing that's out there that everybody's heard of. And I'd like to know what all the fuss is about. Um, Chris, you got any recommendations? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, for the first time I just watched, um, uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and, uh, it's free on Tubi. And if you like Fury Road, if you like Road Warrior, it's, you know, it's not the best in the series, but it's definitely an enjoyable watch and it's, you know, better than what you'll see with your average MCU thing. It's just an incredibly original film and it's got a surprisingly interesting cast, including Tina Turner. That's a good one. Um, recommendations for me, I don't really have many. One, it's an unrelated one. Uh, JT's got me watching Trigon Stampede. Trigon? Trigon. That's Teen Titans. Trigon Stampede. It's an anime. It's so fucking good. We just finished the first season. I think they're making more. They just came out with it. It's beautifully animated. I love the story. It's a what do you, like kind of a neo-western or like a sci-fi western. Fucking awesome. Um, I have to recommend Wendell. I'm probably going to steal it from him. Dune, I'm sorry, fucking Dune. Why did I say that? Uh, Bone. Um, this is just Jeff Smith's Bone is just very similar to this. Um, and especially if you don't, uh, if if you want something a little bit more on the fantasy side and a little bit more of the Disney but dark thing, Bone is is right up your alley. Um, and I think that's gonna be all my recommendations for the week. Uh, what what recommendations you got? My recommendations, uh, based off mm-hmm. of this, I. Would re- I would recommend Dune, which I've also never read, which is what I kept feeling the whole time. I was like, this is why I, this, it, it almost, I, like, not to say that I didn't enjoy it, but it also is, like, why 
I'm not particularly drawn to that is just uh, d- to that dense of a setting. And yeah, I, I think that it's, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a time where that shit's really going to land for me, but uh, I, I kept reading it and just like thinking I wasn't smart enough to appreciate it out like in the ways as much as I could. And I, I think that, and I mean that as complimentary as I can be, which is like sometimes it, it, I avoid things that are tough for me, but like at the same time, it's like, I just don't read stuff that challenges me on that level uh, mm-hmm. uh, of trying to understand a world. And it's, it was, it was engaging for sure. Hell, hell yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I recommended bone too. I, well, yeah, yeah. Go, go read bone and smile. And don't be, yeah, I was just like, like go, go read Bone and then be, like, make the world a better place. Okay, well, anyway, follow us on social media, especially Twitter. We got stuff on Instagram. Fucking talk to us. Recommend stuff. Check out uh, Heroes and Dragons. Review. Check out Heroes and Dragons yeah, Heroes in and Columbia. Dragons, definitely. Yeah, if you're not from Columbia, even better, fly in. Fly in. It's worth it. Totally. Okay. Night, everybody. Hi, guys. Comic, 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 canon revival.